glad you guys are here. It's going to be a good morning. Uh, I'm just telling you, it's going to be a good day today. Um, welcome those watching online as well. Thank you guys for joining in. Um, if you are new here or if you've never filled out a connection card, we've got them in the seat backs. We would love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you take a minute and just fill those out, you can drop those in the offering boxes by the door on your way out. Um, and so that's one way we can get to know you. If you're online, take a minute and pull out your phone. If you're watching on something else or after the service, go and fill out uh, the connection card. There's a link if you're watching on our live.mycornerstone.org. Uh, if you go to mycornerstone.fyi, uh, you can fill out the connection card there. Uh, again, it just helps us to get to know you a little bit. Um, this morning, before I jump into the message, I've got several updates to share, so I just want to take a few minutes to share some kind of news and updates and uh, a few things. One is that with things kind of getting back to normal now a little bit, we've been through this disruption really for over a year now, uh, we could use your help. And I really want to encourage you to get connected, to get plugged in, to find where you can use your gifts and your abilities to serve. And so here at church on Sunday morning, we've got a lot of opportunities for you to get involved uh, from everything in our children's ministry downstairs. Uh, uh, we've got all sorts of opportunities for you to help there. Our worship team, uh, especially as we go through the summer months and people are traveling and out, uh, it seems like every week we're trying to kind of fill some holes here and there. And, and so if you can sing, if you can play an instrument, we would love uh, to get you plugged in and serving with our worship team. Uh, our hospitality team, who's here early to make sure everything's ready uh, to greet you as you come in, uh, we uh, to, to serve in the, the, the coffee and, and the cafe area. Uh, all those things, we could use uh, some, some help with that. Our safety and our security team. Um, you, you may or may not know, but we have people serving every Sunday, upstairs and downstairs, uh, making sure that we're safe. And so uh, uh, that's another area. Our technology uh, with our audio, our computer stuff, our projection stuff, uh, even our social media, uh, we can use help there. Uh, our, our life group, uh, we'd love to have some life groups continue through the summer. So uh, maybe that's some, something you're, you're interested in hosting or leading a life group. So uh, we can do those here at the church. You can do them at your homes, all sorts. You can meet in the park. You can do all sorts of fun stuff through the summer for those. And um, and even, you know, we've got opportunities to serve every week. This week we have our free community meal. Uh, we still need help with that. And so if you're interested in any of that stuff, the place to go to uh, is mycornerstone.fyi. If you're on your phone, you can also fill out your uh, connection card, communication card, and seat back and let us know. Uh, but if you let us know, we'll follow up with you, and we'll help you figure out where the best place to get plugged in. And here's my promise to you, right? If you start serving somewhere and it's not for you, you're not locked in for life, okay? Uh, you know, sometimes I think people are afraid to volunteer because they're like, man, if I go and I volunteer and I start serving and I, it's just not for me, right? You feel like, well, I've already committed. Try it first, see, and if that's not where you need to be, find where you need to be. We want people serving here at Cornerstone where they're passionate. We don't want you serving out of guilt or obligation. We want you to find a place where you can get excited. And the great thing is, right, since we have two services, you can serve in one service uh, and you can worship in one service. Uh, so you don't really miss anything by serving. So uh, i just share that to you today. Just really want to encourage you, if you've been on the sidelines for a while, 
what's holding you back to, to really get involved and, and to start serving. A um, few other things. I'll mention a few other announcements. Um, uh, tonight for youth, it's kind of our end of the school year, start of summer party. So we've got a cookout. Uh, it's 6 to 8, so the times are a little different. 7th through 12th grade are here. Our 5th and 6th grade group are meeting at your house, I think. Right, Chris? Yes. He sounded really excited about that. You heard it. Yeah. The youth used to meet at my house until they started destroying the house. And then I'm like, no, we got to meet somewhere else. So, Yeah, yeah. So good luck tonight. Um, fifth and sixth grade. Um, so if you need details, ask us. We'll get you plugged in. Another thing, um, we are... We do have tentatively scheduled July 3rd through the 10th a mission trip to Nicaragua. Um, we've been going there for, uh, well, 12, 13, 14 years. I'm not sure. I have to look and see. We've been going a long time and working. So uh, with all, we've kind of been closely watching all the regulations, rules. Uh, we're planning on taking a small team this year. Um, I know we've sent well over 100 people from Cornerstone down to Nicaragua in the past uh, altogether. Uh, um, this year it's going to be a little bit smaller, but if that's something you're interested in, um, talk to me, talk to Larry uh, back at the, the information desk. We'll get you the information you need for it uh, on fundraising, on what it will cost, on what it will look like. Um, um, and so uh, we're still kind of, the team went down last week, I think, uh, the week before for the first time uh, since the pandemic started. So we've been talking with them and figuring out kind of what we can do and can't do and and all the testing that's required before and b before you come back and how to get that all worked out. So uh, it's really an incredible opportunity. We just want to go back down, check on how all the villages are doing, check with the pastors we've been working with. Um, I did pastor training back uh, a couple months ago or about three or four months ago, but I did it video, uh, virtually through video. So uh, we, we're working with over 100 pastors down there. So if you're interested, let us know. We'll get you the info on that. And then finally, um, I told you a lot of updates today, but just kind of sometimes you just need to, to, to kind of go through a few things. Um, uh, we're an elder-led church, and many of you know that. Some of you may not know that. Uh, but what that means are our elders act as, as the pastors and the overseers of everything, really, that happens here at Cornerstone. They're the, the spiritual leaders of the church. So uh, it's not a pastor-led church, it's an elder-led church. So me, along with the other elders, I, because I serve as an elder as well, uh, serve together in leading the church. And, and so when someone comes on to serve as an elder, they agree to a three-year term, uh, they can serve two terms back-to-back, -back, so up to six years. We have a couple of our elders that are nearing the end of their terms. Um, and so we're opening up um, elder nominations here at Cornerstone. So if you know of someone that you feel would make a good elder, we want you to encourage you to nominate them. And you can do that in a couple of ways. You can do it by talking to one of the current elders, uh, and we can point you in the right direction. You can tell me, tell... Uh, any of the other elders, you uh, could also write it on one of your cards and drop it in the box as well. Uh, the elders must meet the qualifications. You'll find those in 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, uh, and Titus as well. Um, but what really, uh, it really, we've been blessed to have an incredible group of, of guys who have served as elders and lead this church well. And, um, and it really, we have uh, just our system 
Uh, if you're not familiar with it, really every single elder serves as a pastor. Um, and so they're, they're a pastor of this church. So I'm not the only pastor here. Um, and if you're a member of the church, you know that you have an elder assigned to you, right? That is your, your pastor that uh, you can connect with. So uh, if you've got any ideas for that, want to nominate someone, let us know. And we'll be going through that process uh, for the next few months of interviewing. And there's a, uh, the elders that uh, are interviewed and that uh, agree to come on and that are a good fit serve as kind of a training period for three to six months before they become official elders. So anyway, uh, we just wanted to, to let you know about that. So I think that's all the announcements this morning, a lot of stuff. Uh, but now we get to dig into to God's Word. Now we get to, to, to dig into some good stuff this morning. Last week, we started a brand new sermon series on Jeremiah. And this whole sermon series is about a people in crisis. And, and when you look at Jeremiah, we learned how he was faithful, even when the world really was against him. He was preaching and prophesying in a time where people didn't want to hear the message. They really weren't interested in what he had to say. And I believe today we are living in a time of crisis as well. Uh, there's a pastor down in Charlotte at Mecklenburg, a guy named James Emery White. And he wrote a book back in 2014 called The Rise of the Nuns. And what's interesting about this book um, is he's talking about how there's a particular segment of our population that's growing rapidly. Um, and it's the group that he calls the nuns. And it's a group, not N-U-N, it's a group N-O-N-E-S, okay, just to make sure you're, you're following along. The nuns. And there were people with no religious affiliation. And let me read you a statistic here. He said, let's begin with a boring statistic, 8.1%. According to an American religious identification survey, that's roughly how many Americans in 1990 were willing to identify themselves as having no religious identification. So in 1990, we're at 8%. Of the population said, I have no religious affiliation, right? No, I don't identify with anything religious at all. Okay, fast forward 18 years to 2008. In that same study, the number becomes 15%. So we went from 8 to 15%. Give it four more years in the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life study, it becomes 19.3%. And that number continues to grow today. That's one in five Americans now say that they have no religious, uh, you know, uh, identification. Um, and he said this. He said that number, um, the number of Amer uh, he said there's no indication that the trend is slowing down. This is the fastest growing religious demographic in America. Uh, and if the and follow along with me, if that group is growing, right? What is the church going to do about it? Do you think it changes, right, how we interact with the world around us? It means more and more people in this world around us no longer have any identification with Christianity. Now, it's also interesting to see that I've seen other studies show this, that the number of core commit, committed Christians... I try to say that fast, core committed Christians, um, has really stayed relatively the same. It's really not gone down or up. So what's happening is an increasing polarization of society. You've got more and more people who 
uh, who are in that middle who say, I really don't have anything to do with Christianity. That's why we're in a time of crisis. Um, and, and James White, he went on to say that a lot of these people, they're not opposed to the idea of God in general, but they're turned off by a church full of power, politics, and money. Uh, and he said they are a product of a secularized, privatized, and pluralized post-Christian world in, in which many think they've heard and rejected the gospel, but most don't even have the basic theological knowledge in place to make a decision about it. They don't believe that they're sinners, but they're mistakers. <laughs> they don't look for solid arguments, but statements that have a feel of truthiness, a truthiness approved by the popular majority. And that really uh, describes our world today. People who are looking for something that makes them feel good. People that are looking for something that goes along with popular opinion. And, and why a book like Jeremiah is so important. In a time like this, we need truth. In a time like this, we need to understand that even when the world is, is, is slowly kind of turning its back on God... It doesn't change who we are and what we proclaim. That we can stay faithful in a world like that. And I know some of you here, you would consider yourself an optimist, right? You would say, I'm an optimist by nature. I just believe that things are going to turn out good. And, and I wish that I could agree with you. And I wish that I could say, yes, I hope so. But the reality is, I really don't think that we're going to see this number of the, the people with religious, no religious affiliation. I don't think we're going to see that change and come back to where it was. I think we're living in a time where we're going to see more and more people turn against God. And that's why we're doing this study. So let's talk about Jeremiah a little bit. Um, he lived about 100 years after the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and so Isaiah had prophesied and told Hezekiah that the Babylonians would come. They were going to take Jerusalem uh, and, and take all the treasure and take it to Babylon and would take Hezekiah's own descendants as well. And that is what's happening in Jeremiah's time. And so what's interesting is we see prophecy in the Bible fulfilled uh, just you know a few books later. We see history take place. We see how this is all playing out. And that's really uh, what, uh, what we see here. Last week we talked about Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, I'll kind of summarize Jeremiah chapter 2 through 6, and I'm going to do it in about a minute, okay? So you ready? I'm going to do five chapters in the Bible in a minute. Four words uh, that happen over the next five chapters. The first is remember. Jeremiah just keeps telling them, you've got to remember how you used to live for God and now you're not, right? Then he says, realize realize that you are not living rightly, that you have turned from God. Uh, and then he says, return. He calls them over and over again, return back to God. You still have time. Then he says, beware. And beware. Uh, there's judgment coming. Uh, Jeremiah 5, 29, he says, should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And so those five chapters, two through six, it's Jeremiah just giving us these four words. Remember, realize, return, beware. That's the message of the prophet. He's just telling them, okay, judgment is coming because you have turned your back on God. Now, see a minute for five chapters. 
We're doing pretty good this morning. You have a chance to get out of here before the second service starts. So, <laughs> over the years, when we talk about judgment, any preacher talks about judgment, there's always going to be somebody out there trying to get attention for themselves that says something bad happens because of this, right? Uh, this natural disaster, this uh, hurricane happened because the people did this, or uh, this terrorist act happened because we did this, and, and they tie things together. And, and I would say that any Christian leader that continues to do that and says, this event happened because you voted this way, or this event happened because our na-. Here's the, the, the thing I would say to that, right? I'm not willing to say any specific event happens because of something, because I'm not God. Right? That's way above my pay grade to decide what happens because of uh, each, you know, as we look. But here's what I would tell you as a pastor, right? Based on history and based on the Bible, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And we would be foolish to think that collectively as a nation that we can do whatever we want apart from God and that we would not see both physical and spiritual consequences. Are you following along? All right. That there would be consequences to our actions uh, as, as people, right? And, and this goes for any nation, just not the United States. But there are consequences when we don't follow God. And so that's a message we need to be reminded of. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, God's covenant with the Jews included both blessings and judgments. Blessings if they obeyed and judgments if they rebelled. So you've heard me say before and you've heard Don Gillette in Nicaragua say, blessings follow obedience. And so when people rebel, right, when people rebel, what does that lead to? It leads to judgment. And Jeremiah is a book about judgment. Uh, the Bible Project says this about the passage we're going to study today in Jeremiah 7. It says, To understand the book of Jeremiah and its message of judgment against Judah, there's no better place to go than Jeremiah's famous temple sermon in chapter 7. This passage, I like this, it's a one-stop shopping center for all things Jeremiah and judgment. <laughs> So if you can understand this, it will help you better grasp what's going on in the rest of the book. It's a one-stop shopping place for all things Jeremiah and judgment in chapter 7 today. So if you got your Bibles, flip there. That's where we're going to be. Uh, we'll put it on the screens as well. Uh, and so what happens here is Jeremiah shows up and he shows up at the temple to give uh, this message, to give this prophecy, to give this warning to the people. Uh, if you're familiar with the Jewish customs, uh, they would travel in, pilgr in pilgrimage uh, to certain feasts. And often it would just be the men. Um, and they would show up at these feasts. Um, and then they would go through uh, the, 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 you know, the rituals of the feast. They would show up at the temple and give their sacrifices. And, and so Jeremiah is kind of meeting them at the temple. And typically the person meeting them there would say, Okay, you need to, to kind of get right with God. You need to make sure you examine your hearts before you enter. And so Jeremiah took that role. He took that role at the temple, and he's meeting people. But instead of telling them that, he, he just goes full on and says, you better get right with God. And that's my summary for today, right? So Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, let's pick it up. 
the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. And so he's, he's given them another chance. And our God is so patient with our foolishness. And so God is patient with him and he's given him chance after chance. Change your ways, change your actions, and I'll let you stay. But the, the converse of that, right, is that if you don't, then you're going to be, you're, you're going to lose the possession. You're going to lose the ability to worship in this temple. You're going to lose your home. You're going to be taken away in captivity. The choice is yours. And that brings me to my first point today. And it's simply this, you can't continue to live in sin and expect God to bless your life and your worship. You can't continue to live in sin and expect God's blessings to flow down upon your life. And, and again, this is, a, you know, you look at Jeremiah, it's a book about judgment, it's a book about, and we'll get around to, to how this all kind of fits in to, to where we are today, but uh, let's kind of keep reading and see what he says here in verse 4. He says, Don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They thought they were safe because, hey, we're in the temple. I mean, we would say that today, right? Some people think, well, I'm in church. That means I'm okay with God, right? <laughs> so he says, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and you start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourself by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. And so the real issue here is they were going to the temple to worship, but their lives outside of the temple didn't reflect the commitment that they had made to God. It didn't reflect the covenant relationship that God had with His people. And so, in other words, they were going through the motions. Worship had become a ritual. They came back to Jerusalem to party, and then they just snuck in church for a few minutes. And God is saying, wait a minute here. You can't expect me to bless that when that's what you think worship really is. What God wanted them to do is change how they lived outside the temple, right? He wanted their life to reflect His relationship with them every day of the week, not just on what happened on the Sabbath. And so uh, He's telling them, Jeremiah is just saying, you've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to change your behavior. Uh, and you've got to really uh, look at everything about this, that, that God will judge you for the evil living that you are doing. And so, man, this is, this is again, a, a, it's not a popular message, not a, a, a warm, fuzzy feeling message that Jeremiah is giving here, but it's a much needed message. That, and it's a message that still applies today, right? And I know he's talking about the temple, Right, but doesn't really apply to how we do church today as well. 
Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, any theology that minimizes God's holiness and tolerates people's deliberate sinfulness is a false theology. And, and so anytime we say, well, God is not that holy and we're not that bad, we're going down a wrong road. <laughs> and, and I was telling somebody this this week that the, the older we get, the more we grow as Christians, we recognize two things, that God is holier than we ever imagined. And that we are more sinful than we ever understood. And the more we grow, right, we realize the only thing that can make that gap up is the cross. But God is holy and we're not. It doesn't mean that as we grow, we, we, we start committing more sins. It means we recognize there's more sin under the surface that we never even knew was there. And so uh, that kind of this whole idea here, we can't continue to live in sin and expect God to bless our life and our worship. And that leads me to my second point uh, that you'll see here. And it, I don't believe this is a stretch from the passage here, but it's this. Going to church does not make you a Christian. All right. I know we're talking about the temple here. I know we're talking about the Jewish people uh, but let's extrapolate that from that time into our time today. We could say the same thing. Just showing up at the temple for worship does not mean we have a relationship with God. Just going to church does not mean you have a relationship with God. And so he, he says this in verse 8. He says, don't be fooled into thinking you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other gods of new gods of yours? And then come before you come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe, only to go right back to all those evils again. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah is just saying, who do you think you're kidding? Who do you think you're kidding? You, you act like this all week long. Then you show up in church and you think it, oh, that I'm just going to look over everything. Um, this is, this is, they were trying to cover up their sin with religious ritual. And I'm telling you, people do that all the time today, especially in the Bible Belt. Right? And I've talked to people who pastor in other places and other more secular places in Washington State and in, in California. And they say church is a little different there because if you go to church, for the most part, you have to be pretty committed because no one else does. <laughs> All right? Here in the South, you can go to, just being in church. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian. People go to church because it's expected. People go to church because our family has always gone to church. People go to church because they want to look good in the community. And so when we step back and realize this, wait a minute here. We're doing the same thing as the people in the time of Jeremiah. We're just worshiping different gods. Instead of worshiping Baal, we're worshiping money. We're worshiping popularity. We, we're worshiping uh, materialism, our, our things, our stuff, our power, our influence. Uh, on social media. We're worshiping all those other things, but they're still gods. It's still idolatry. And so uh, this is a message to us here. We're not safe just because we're in church. And I just I share that because we, we, we've got to get back. And if I had to title this morning's sermon, it's what is true worship? What does true worship really look like? And why are we even here? 
uh, that's what Jeremiah is challenging them about. It's like, why are you here? Why are you putting on the show? You're not sincere. This is not real. And so we have warnings like this in the New Testament as well, right? James does the same thing. Your faith, it, uh, if your faith doesn't change the way you live, your faith is dead. If your faith, right, that's the, that's the same kind of warning in the New Testament that we see here in the Old Testament. And so I, I just want to share with you, just going to church does not make you a Christian. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to be born again, as, as Jesus told Nicodemus. You, you're, you have to be a new creation in Christ. And so let me kind of, let's keep going. Well, what is worship then? Well, worship, it's more than a ritual. It's a whole life devotion. It's a whole life devotion. Worship is not just some ritual that we show up and go through the motions each week. And again, I think the longer you've been a Christian, the more um, that you, you've been around Christianity, the easier this is a temptation that it becomes that, hey, I just go to church, I do what I'm supposed to, and then I, I get out and, and get on with the rest of my week. That's not what worship is. Church on Sunday morning is preparation to send you out into your mission field every day of the week. So church on Sunday morning, we, we come to church right, to learn together, to worship together, to have this community, to build each other up. But this is not the end-all, be-all. We come to church right, to prepare ourselves to enter into the rest of the week um, and, and serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength every single day. And so God wants more than just hypocritical ritual. He desires us to worship us with worship him with every single area of our life. And so what Jeremiah is doing here, he wants more than worship in the temple. He wants their, their entire life in worship. And so, uh, man, when we think about worship, um, a lot of Christians, I think, have this misunderstanding about what worship really is. And I think when I, even I say worship today, I say God wants you to worship. I think your first inclination for most people is, I don't like to sing. <laughs> worship is about singing on Sunday morning. And I think a lot of people have that connotation. Worship is our praise. It's our singing. Well, worship, that's part of worship. But that's really not what true worship is. Worship goes far beyond just what we sing uh, in corporate services together. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. When Cornerstone started, we started back in 2004. Um, and in some ways, it seems like just yesterday. In some ways, it seems like a whole lot of time has passed, right? Um, it's when Cornerstone first started... Uh, the worship wars were still kind of going on in the church world at large. And what I mean by that is the way we worshiped here with a full band and praise team, it was controversial even when we started back in 2004. There weren't a lot of churches, especially in this area, doing that. Um, and so uh, it's kind of, I was telling uh, Galen, who runs our sound most weeks, um, I was telling him a few weeks ago, it's kind of nice that we don't, I mean, back then it's like almost every week is the drums are too loud and I hope there won't be electric guitars in heaven. And why are you, <laughs> those are statements we really heard, right? Um, 
and, and it's too loud. And, and we heard that. And I'm like, that's not what worship that's, you know, you, you've kind of twisted the meaning of what worship. It's nice that we don't have those complaints now. Um, it's nice that we can just come together and say, okay, this is, this is who Cornerstone is. This is how we worship. Let's just, this is how we get together and praise God. But worship far extends beyond what happens here on Sunday morning. Worship is how we live our life outside of the church, just as much what happens here inside the church. And so, uh, I mean, in the New Testament, in Romans 12, it's the clearest, clearest scripture I think we have for what worship really is. Romans 12, 1, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Give your entire lives, right? Not just your, your singing voice. Let everything, right? Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship Him. This is, this is what worship really looks like. And so Jeremiah, his mission, he was calling out hypocrisy. He was calling out hypocrisy. He was reminding Israel of what worship really looked like. It's not a to-do list. It's not a checkbox. It's not a ritual. It's not just showing up and going through the motions. No, God desires a changed heart. And, and, and our worship has got to extend beyond the church walls, not because those things you know, are more important, but because what we do outside the church affects the sincerity of what happens inside the church. And, and so this, again, it's a reminder we still need today. When we look in the New Testament, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, what was he doing? He was telling people the same message that Jeremiah is telling them here. It's not just about looking right uh, on paper. It's about going through, you know, and looking at every area of your life and realizing, are you surrendered to God? You have heard it said, but this is what I say to you. This is what you thought worship was really about, but here's what it's really about. It's about surrendering to God. And so the whole Sermon on the Mount is this, we have this basic choice. Do we steer our actions and our way of living toward God or do we ignore His teaching in everyday life? It's the same choice that the Jews had with the same consequences. I, I talked earlier about the nuns. Um, and and it's interesting when you look at what it takes to reach people who have no religious affiliation. It's not rituals. All right. That doesn't, that doesn't appeal to anyone. Let's go and go through a bunch of rituals. No. What are they looking for? They're looking for a cause. They're looking for something bigger than themselves to believe in. They're looking for a mission that they can join in. A community that they can be part of. That's what they really... If you want to convince someone that's far from God... Oh, what it looks like. They need to understand, they need to see it, the change in our life. So it's interesting that what would work to reach our culture today is the same thing that Jeremiah says in chapter 7. Care about those who have no voice, the orphans, the widows, the foreigners. The, care about those who are being oppressed. Do something about it. Get involved. Serve them. Quit following worthless idols. 
you know, quit doing all this sin and evil in your life and get serious about what it means to love God and love others. And if we do that, I'm telling you, it's amazing how we can be more effective in reaching people who don't know Jesus. And that leads me to my last point today. That God is love and God is just. So whenever you talk about judgment, a lot of people say, I don't like all this talk about judgment and I don't like all that because God loves everyone. Well, it's precisely because God is love that God is just and that God does judge people. And we've got to understand that. Uh, Jeremiah 7.13, we, we kind of see this judgment side. I, uh, that while you were doing these wicked things, says the Lord, I spoke to you about it repeatedly, but you would not listen. I called out to you, but you refused to answer. And so when we begin to drift away from God, God is there to warn us and to, to plead with us and to draw us back. He knows the danger that we're in. And, and, and so there, there's consequences for our sinful actions. Galatians 6.8, Paul says it this way. Uh, he says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The, the way we live our life has eternal consequences. And God does not bring judgment upon us without warning. He warns us how the sin will leave its scars on our life. He warns us that sin has consequences. He calls to us. He speaks to us. And why does He do that? He does it because He loves us. He does it because he's, He doesn't want anyone to perish. But He wants us to turn back to, to Jesus. And so uh, we need to remember that. It, it, you know, that God... In His grace and in His mercy, He has given us a way that we can be made right with the Father. He has given us a way that we don't have to suffer eternal punishment for our sins. He's given us a way that we can be made right with God, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we get together. That's why we worship. That's why we, we come and learn from His Word together. It's interesting at the, the end of chapter 7, and I won't read it, but... Jeremiah talks about the slaughter that will take place at the valley of Ben-Hanam. And uh, later, that same valley is tra translated. Uh, uh, it kind of it gets to, it's the word in Greek that's translated Gehenna. It's also the word in the New Testament that's translated as hell. And he talks about how the people, the Israelites, got to the point where they were even sacrificing their own children. And he talked about this valley of Ben-Hanam. There, there's bodies stacked everywhere. This great slaughter. This great judgment. Um, and that's the picture from Jeremiah 7 that we have of what hell will be like. The, the great slaughter. The great torment. The great sinfulness. The great valley of destruction. And, and so I, I share that, right? A lot of us say, well, we like the, the, the lovely picture of God. We don't like this judgmental side of God. They go hand in hand because God is just. And if God, right, um, if you think about this, if God completely neglected this, this judgment, right, there'd be no consequence for evil. People could live and do whatever they wanted and there would be no consequences for it. It's interesting in 
the New Testament. There's another passage that parallels to Jeremiah 7, and it's Matthew 21. Israel is back in the promised land. The temple is rebuilt. Uh, but people are neglecting those around them again, just as they did in the time of Jeremiah. And God's people had this false sense of security about the temple again. And in that context, Jesus went into the temple courts. He turned over the tables. He drove out the money changers. And he quotes Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And he said this, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. When Jesus said this, all right, make no mistake, the people knew exactly what he was saying. He was going back to Jeremiah chapter 7. This was a time of judgment. This was a time where the temple was about to be destroyed. The people were about to be taken away. And, and Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. Right? This is what's going to happen now because of the way you're living. God is a God of love. And God is a God of judgment. Because He's a just God. And so Jesus kind of... I know this is hard to understand, but the Bible is so clear. God loves us with a love that is far greater than human love. But he's also a God who judges sin and evil with a perfect justice. Both are true. And so have you ever asked yourself what the world would be like if God were only a God of love? Right? Then evil people could carry out their plans without fear. But if God was, or were only a God of judgment, right? then none of us would ever have a chance. But because God is loving, because God is just, He made a way for us. And so today, this is our reminder, right? You're, you're not a Christian because you, you're here today. You're only a Christian if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you put your faith and your trust in Him. That's the start of this journey of life. And, and as we journey in this walk of faith, as we journey forward, yes, we understand God is holy, but we also understand we are sinful. And the only thing that can bridge that gap again is the cross. And so we look back to the cross, and the cross is where Jesus died on our behalf. He died to take the punishment that we deserved. And, and so... Uh, Today, here's what I want to ask. If you have never put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, today is your opportunity to do that. Right now, right here. Just being here doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents are Christian doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? Faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we come to you. Uh, we understand that we are sinful people. We have sinned and fallen short so many times that we've missed the mark of what you've called us to do and how you've called us to live. And my prayer is that Jeremiah will remind us that we need to surrender fully to you. That worship is far more than what, than what happens here on Sunday morning. It's how we live every single day of the week. And so, Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you would strengthen us to leave this place to live for you, uh, to serve those who are in need, to not neglect those who are hurting, those who are overlooked, those who are oppressed, to share the love of Jesus with them, but also to share the truth of Jesus with them. Heavenly Father, I pray that for everyone here today, everyone listening online, that today would be the day of salvation, that, you would, that they would be able to say, I, I, I know I'm secure. I know I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And because of that, I can celebrate. And if that's not you, 
if there's doubt, if there's fear, if there's if you're here today and you say, I don't really know if I know for sure who Jesus is and if He saved me today can be the day that you nail that down by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. So I want to invite you, while every head is bowed today, would you pray with me if you don't know Jesus? I can help you with the prayer part, but you have to believe in your heart. Would you just pray, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know, Lord, that I need you. I know that I need forgiveness. And so this morning, I confess, Lord, I confess that I need you in my life, that I want you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, I confess that you are the Lord. I confess that you went to the cross on my behalf and you died on that cross so that you could take my sin and my shame and my punishment. And Lord, I'm so thankful that in exchange, I can receive the righteousness of God. So today, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to believe in you and, and not my belief in, not put my faith and trust in anything else but Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. And I know you can do that. Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you right here, right now. While every head is bowed today, um, I just want to ask you, would you be brave enough this morning? If, if that's you this morning, you just prayed that prayer. If you're online, click that button that says, hey, I just prayed this prayer. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're here in person, would you just raise your hand this morning just so I can be praying for you? Anybody, anywhere that would say, yes, I prayed that prayer I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to live for Him. Anybody, anywhere. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this morning. We're thankful for what You've done in our lives. We're thankful You still save lives today. You still change us. Help us, empower us, strengthen us to leave here and to live for You. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. All God's people said, Amen.